it is said that Peter J. McGuire is responsible, even though that is also in dispute, because nobody really knows who is responsible, but it's thought that Peter J. McGuire might have been the brainchild. You see, in 1882, he was the uh, president of the American Federation of Labor, and what he thought was there ought to be something that honors the greatness of American workers. And in honoring the greatness of American workers and going around and looking at all the massive uh, structures and the building projects that the American worker was responsible for, he said, you know what, it'd be great if we had an opportunity to honor the American worker. And so it is that Peter J. McGuire suggested the very first Labor Day. As we sit here on the eve of Labor Day, it's ironic to me that we have a day of rest that we call Labor Day. I don't know if that's for all the honeydew projects that need to be done on on this day that we're supposed to be resting, but we rest on Labor Day. Ironically, also, when you get to Exodus 20, verses 9 through 11, God uses more words in describing the Sabbath rest than he does in any of the other commandments that are given in the Ten Commandments. That is, God uses more words to describe how man is to rest than he does in describing anything else about him or his character or the observation of his people. Maintaining a balance when we talk about resting versus working is difficult. The word Sabbath is just simply a Hebrew word that means rest or cease or desist or stop whatever you're doing, doesn't necessarily have direct reference to the Saturday, the observance of our Saturday week, but we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But I think about, obviously, at the very outset, applications for you and me, and today it seems like sometimes we have trouble balancing our work and our rest. seems like sometimes whenever I'm resting or whenever I've got my day off, I'm spending more time thinking about working. And it seems like sometimes that there are days that go by when you're working and you're trying to get something accomplished when all you can think about is resting. Balance is difficult to achieve, but understanding the purpose why God gave the Sabbath in the first place is so important to us in understanding of God's rules and his his, uh, directions to his people, that is, the Jews here in Exodus chapter 20. Brothers and sisters, if we were going to sum this lesson up in one statement, is that God wants our lives more than work, more than rest, more than what we think about when we're working, more what we think about than we're resting, is that he wants our lives to be all about holiness. Holiness. Observing the Sabbath and trusting in God whenever it was that God said, here's a day that I want you to spend not working. Here's a day that I want you to spend resting. What you're looking at is looking at and saying, I'm going to trust God enough to do this and to observe this because it's part of what makes me as a Jewish person looking at this from their eyes, holy. Looking at it as a Israelite, as a Hebrew, it, it's about what makes us set apart. God did that. God said, here's this day that you don't behave like the rest of the world. That's holy. The word holy just simply means set apart or set aside or different as it is in some translations. God set these people apart and observing the Sabbath was about remembering the holy Lord that they serve. You see, 
we labor or we rest on Labor Day to honor the American worker, or at least that's was the original intent. But the Sabbath really had nothing to do with honoring the Hebrew worker. It had everything to do with honoring the God that gave them the rest from their labors. There are two points to be made this evening under this title of the Sabbath was about holiness. The observing the Sabbath was about making a holy people. And the two points that we're going to make have a number of things underneath them, but I want you to understand that it's all about holiness. It's all about being different with regard to our work and with regard to our rest. Point number one. Observing the Sabbath is about dependence. It's about dependence. Observing the Sabbath was about how your life overall was ordered underneath the Lord. When you actually look at what it was that these people were resting from, if you're talking about one-seventh of your weekly income, that's a pretty big chunk, isn't it? If you're saying that you could have one-seventh more versus uh, every single week, why wouldn't you want to go after that? But God says, instead of taking that one-seventh of work that you would be getting, the pay that you would be getting for working on that day, you take it and you rest. God says, you work for those six days and I will take care of you. What? That doesn't compute in my mind sometimes. Because we as Americans, of course, we've got uh, this kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We've got to work, 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 work. We've got to push, 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 push. And we've got to go. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that we ought to sit still for some time. That we ought to not do things for a certain time. God tells these people right at the very outset of becoming their special, God's special people, his own special treasure, Exodus 19, the chapter just before this one. That part of that is you better know how to lay down the hammer, lay down the shovel, and sit down and rest. You know, I mentioned that uh, the word Sabbath just simply means rest. And we get the idea that it's just on, again, our week Saturday. It's just the only Sabbath the Jews had to observe was just on Saturday. That's not true at all. In fact, when you get to passages like Leviticus 23, 24, God says, here's what you do. On the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you're going to observe a Sabbath rest. Now, what day does the seventh month, the first day of the month fall on? I guarantee it's not always a Saturday. It's not always the Sabbath as we think about it. One man calculated it like this, looking through the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament. He said, did you know that in a 50 years period, the Jews would have had to observe a number of different Sabbaths, a number of different rest times and rest periods. Within a 50-year period, they would have had one Sabbath day uh, every single week that would come. That would add up to 2,600 days. They would have uh, the Passover. That is two days a year. That is 100 days every year. Uh, the Feast of first fruits, 50 days every year, one day. Feast of Trumpets, they'd have to observe a Sabbath rest for that, one day. Feast of Tabernacles, 50 days. Sabbath years. Every seven years, they would have to stop working on that seventh year and trust them. Boy, you talk about resting one day a week versus one year out of seven. There was the year of Jubilee, which lasted an entire year, 365 days. There was a day of atonement, which was one day a year. A total of 50 years, the Jews would have ended up resting about 16, nearly 16 years out of that 50. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? 
But it is not about just observing the rest, but it's about looking to God as the source of dependence. That is, we trust Him enough to do what He says, and if God says you want to rest on these days, that's exactly what we're going to do as His people. It's about dependence. It's about ordering our lives under God. But it's also about work. It's also about work. Work in the week. Do all your work, God says here in Exodus 29 through 11. Do all your work in six days. The first thing I do usually on Monday when I get to the office is I make a list of everything that I need to get accomplished for that week. I put it on a note card so that at the end of the year I can flip back through. And as I, as I accomplish those things, I cross those things off the list. Because I don't want to go into my days off and my rest days thinking about something that I should have gotten accomplished back during the week. I find it's not restful for me because I've got to plan ahead. When you talk about work, again, we're workaholics a lot of times. And if we don't get accomplished what we feel like we need to get accomplished, well, we're going to spend our rest time trying to accomplish what it was we should have done during our work time. That's not good for anybody, to be honest. That's not good for anybody. It's not good for our families. It's not good for ourselves because you're giving yourselves ulcers in a lot of cases. But when you look at the fact that God wants us to realize or wanted the Jews to realize that here's six days for you to get your jobs done. And recognizing that I have a set amount of time during this week, it's about getting those things accomplished that I need to get accomplished in preparation for those things. But then resting when God tells us or tells the Jews rather to rest. Rest. Do no work, he says, on the seventh day. Who does he mention specifically here in the context of Exodus 20? He says, you don't do any work. Your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, your stranger. Did you know that in ancient civilization, they thought it was ludicrous that the Jews had a holiday every single week? The ancient Greeks actually wrote about this and called the Jews during this time, well, the Jews were lazy. They said they have to have a holiday every seventh day. But the Jews observing this weren't interested in what the Greeks were thinking about, weren't interested in what the Greeks were calling them or saying about them or saying to them. It was that they were interested in following the God who gave this order to them. It was about dependence upon them. And as they would observe this, whose example were they following? What does he say in the context? God rested on the seventh day. When you look at Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, God set the example way back at the very beginning in the creation, and the Jews observing this would follow the example of God. Sometimes throughout this, we have a tendency to think about things in terms of, well, I've just got to get through this in order to get to back to work. I've got to get through this rest period in order to get back to work, but there's a sense in which they lay all of that aside in order to focus upon the fact that they're dependent upon God. You remember what was supposed to take place on the sixth day? Whenever they were out wandering out there in the wilderness and God began sending that manna, that what is it stuff that fell on the ground every day. And you looked at those uh, responsibilities of those Jews and they were having to think ahead. All right, we're resting on this seventh day. So what we've got to do is we've got to gather double on the sixth day so that we have enough to eat. What is God doing? God's saying, you depend on me. 
you observe what I told you to observe, but you behave in the way that I tell you to behave. It's about preparation, the priority. All right, what do I need to get accomplished? God provided the time to get ready and the time of rest. And as the people depended upon him, they were saying, God, we trust you enough to observe this rest that you've given us. It's about dependence. But the second word I want to use with regard to keeping the Sabbath holy was, it was about devotion. Observing the Sabbath was about devotion. Note the word that he says, God blessed the seventh day and he hallowed it. He hallowed it. He made it special. He made it something that uh, was not between God and Christians, but God and Jews. And as he made it hallowed, he touched the seventh day, as it were, with his holy touch. And he said, this is a day that you're going to observe to be separate, to be set apart, to be special. Devotion to God and his ways. You think that was an attractive light to the pagans who observed the Jews? In the pagan world, that would work and work and work and work and work and work. And every seventh day, as the Greeks would mention, the Jews have this holiday where they don't do anything that would even resemble work. There were some traditions that would say you don't even start a fire in your home. You don't, uh, you don't go a certain number of steps from your bed. You, you make sure that you don't do this or don't do that. Part of that was the responsibility to make sure that we were treating the Sabbath hallowed, special, sanctified, holy. In fact, it was a serious thing when you talked about infractions against the Sabbath. Uh, Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 to 36, details an account where a man on the Sabbath day was out gathering sticks. As he's gathering these sticks, people begin to perk up their ears and say, what in the world is he doing? They grabbed onto him and they took him to Moses and they said, Moses, what are we supposed to do with this guy? Because God hadn't given any revelation about that. You know what the, what, the, uh, what the punishment was? It was a capital offense. They stoned the man. They killed him. They killed him for not observing this rest. God sanctified it. He made it hallowed. And he wanted it to understand, the people to understand that devotion to him is a serious, serious matter. When Nehemiah comes along years later, Nehemiah, as we mentioned this morning, built the walls of Jerusalem or helped uh, spur that action on. In Nehemiah 13, towards the end of the book, he has to deal with some uh, other matters that are related to uh, the Jews being separate, being devoted to God. One of those things was that the gates of Jerusalem were open on the Sabbath. And you know what the merchants were doing was they were bringing in their wares on the Sabbath and they were setting up shop down the streets of Jerusalem. Well, as a Jewish person and you're sitting there in your house observing the Sabbath and you hear a guy crawling, crying out, hey, I got two for one here on avocados. All right. Now you're tempted to go out and to begin to buy and sell and what's the Sabbath become? It's not hallowed, not consecrated anymore. Nehemiah and his reform said, all right, you merchants, you get out. On the Sabbath day, we're going to close the gates at sunset and start of the Sabbath. We'll open them up at the gates uh, on, the next, uh, on the next evening. And uh, the first couple of times, uh, Nehemiah observed the merchants were hanging out down there on the walls. And he said, if you get out, don't get out of here. If you don't stop trying to sell on this day that God has called Hallowed is special, I'm going to lay hands on you. 
God wants us to know that a Sabbath for the Jews, for the Israelites, was to be treated as special, as holy. It's a special time. God is holy, and he made this holy to the Jews, a time of devotion to him. There's something to be said for being still. Psalmist said in Psalm 46 and verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I wonder if God wouldn't tell us something similar to say, Be still. Stop scrolling on your phone. Stop flipping through the channels. Stop hitting the mouse wheel to go down to the next thing because you know the content's just going to keep coming. That's the way it's designed. God wants us to be still and to spend time in devotion to Him and to think about how great He is. And realize in these things and saying it's hallowed, it's serious, it's non-negotiable, there were also tremendous blessings to it. You see, the Sabbath was also about family. It was about family. It's right there in Exodus 20 and verse 10 about how you had the son and the daughter and the, the wife and the male servant, the female servant, the cattle and the stranger. If all of these people, if all these things are resting on this day, where's the rest of your family going to be? They're going to be right there in the house with you. And in fact, you look at the preparation. A lot of the families would spend time cleansing the house and cleaning house, as we would say, in, uh, in our modern vernacular, looking and thinking about cooking and gathering and involvement and remembering. Mothers would have the daughters help uh, bake food for supper and, and, and uh, create things in the meals and getting those things all prepared together. And celebrating the Sabbath, you know, so families would sit down and they would talk together. I wonder if any families need to sit down and talk, to, uh, talk together sometimes. They would talk about God. They would talk about how great He is. They would spend time eating and interfacing, sitting in the living room and just visiting about life and about struggles and certainly about the Creator that gave them this, this gift. It was about sharing meals together. It was about reading God's Word, spending some time and, and devotion to God as family devotionals and opening up God's Word and saying, let's read about these famous people that we've known were in our heritage all these years. This one, <laughs> blessing one another. They would spend time saying, I'm thankful to you for you being this in my life. I am so blessed that you are my child. I'm so blessed that you're my parent. Words of appreciation, words of affirmation. I wonder if any families need to hear words of affirmation, words of appreciation sometimes. I like this one. They would often take what was called a Sabbath nap. <laughs> A Sabbath nap, an afternoon nap, a kind of a siesta for adults and for kids. I would make that mandatory in my house if we were observing this. Just saying. Blessing as the Sabbath closes. As sunset would go happen on the eve that would close the Sabbath and begin the first day of the week. They would have one more blessing for the family. One more blessing for God. And then the Sabbath would end and the work weeks for the Jews would begin one more time. Do you think families would have been closer because of those things? Or more distant? Do you think they would have been better people and better equipped to go out and live holy lives because of observing this the way God gave it? Because the people decided to treat it as holy. See, the Sabbath was not just about family. It was also about remembrance. There are two citations for why the people of Israel had to observe the Sabbath. The first one was, as we mentioned just a moment ago, because God blessed it back in creation. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. The second reason is in Deuteronomy 5, 13 through 15, 
where it says that God wanted the people to remember the time that they were once slaves in Egypt and where they were responsible for hard, hard work and labor. And what God did in leading them out of Egypt, Egyptian captivity, was he gave them this Shabbat, this rest, where they didn't have to work as slaves anymore to cruel masters. Their life became all about God and centered around God. And the Sabbath was, above all, brothers and sisters, it was about blessing. It was about blessing. But then the rabbis came along, and they began to look at the Sabbath and say, all right, we've got to clearly delineate and mark out what's work and what's not work. And maybe with the best of intentions and wanting to try and keep the Sabbath holy, what they did was they found 39 in the Old Testament, 39 rules and laws that acts of people were forbidden to do. And instead of using the Sabbath as a blessing and an opportunity to strengthen people, it became something that to the Jews in a lot of cases was a burden and was ignored and abused and misused. Is it any wonder that when our Lord came on the scene, flip through the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're going to discover a number of a number of different occasions where the conflict between him and the rulers of the Jews, the rabbis, the, the priests of that day, occurred because of what Jesus did on the Sabbath day. Luke 13, 14 through 17. As Jesus heals this man, as he talks to the Jews about, is it right to do good on the Sabbath? He asks the question, who's greater, the one who made the Sabbath or the one who, is able to, uh, one who is able to heal on the Sabbath. And he goes on to talk about in Mark 2, verse 23 through 38, the Son of Man is Lord of even the Sabbath. What God purposed as a joy and a celebration of the delightful holy rest for the Jews. You know, the Jews of that day, of Jesus' day, decided to turn it into a burden to be born. Something that... I'm going to live in fear of possibly violating this. And instead of rest and the blessing, it became a burden and a chore to observe. A couple of observations, quickly. Three passages, three considerations, as we consider the principle of dependence and devotion for us as Christians. First one that I want to, well, as a segue, let me ask this question. Is Sunday the Christian Sabbath? There's nothing in the New Testament, in our New Testament, that links Sunday with being the Christian Sabbath. It is a special day, no doubt. It is what's termed in the New Testament the Lord's Day. It is something on which the, <clears throat> the Lord was uh, risen from the dead, the Lord raised from the dead on the first day of the week. And as it was, the early church in Acts 20, verse 7, we find out, worshipped on the first day of the week, but it has never, ever been called the Christian Sabbath. It's not called that in the Bible. Our Lord's Day, in some principles, is kind of like the Jewish Sabbath, but it's never called that. We worship on the Lord's Day, but it's never going to be called the Christian Sabbath. Please don't mistake the two. Don't consider that it's the Christian Sabbath. It's not. It's the Lord's Day. But as we look at these passages here in the New Testament, follow with me. Number one, flip over to the book of Mark, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6. We would do well to remember this principle. 
Brothers and sisters, God in his gracious mercy, God in his love has a principle of rest woven into his creation. And we are wise if we observe that. Remember the occasion in Mark chapter 6. Here's the Son of God walking around here on this earth. And he is so busy in this earthly ministry. He has got so many things going on. And his disciples, all 12 of them are just kind of hag-ridden. And the Lord uses this opportunity to say, come aside to his deserted place and let's just rest for a little while. Brothers and sisters, if you are a person who is a workaholic, if you find yourself more often at the office than you do at home with the family, if you find yourself more preoccupied with business, it could be that you have violated maybe the first commandment, that is, to have no other gods before me, and you put your job, your work here on this earth, above Him. Our lives don't consist in the abundance of things that we possess. Our lives don't consist in the amount of hours that we spend down in the job. Is that necessary? The answer is yes. My kids ask me sometimes, Dad, why do you have to go to work so much? Because it costs a lot to live. You know, If we're looking at it at the basis level, that's exactly why. We have a need for money in order to be able to live and survive in our society. But brothers and sisters, God, all the way back from the beginning, wove in a principle that's There ought to be town time in our lives. In fact, you find those people that work and work and work and work, and you know what they're doing? They're working themselves into an early grave. God doesn't want any of that for us. He wants us to remember that our lives are more than, uh, more about more than food and clothing and, 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 and how much we get done. I think I mentioned before, but I had a friend of mine that went to preaching school and was uh, in the same class as me. And he used to work as a Honda mechanic. And so he would work at the dealership and he would fix these cars day in, day out, hour in, hour and out. And he said the boss was always pushing him to say, all right, come on, Mike, one more car. Just do one more car and then you can go home. Come on, Mike, one more car. Just one more car, one more car. And he said it got to the point where his, his time off or he was supposed to leave at 5. He was staying until 7 or 7.30. He finally said to his boss, listen, that car is going to be here on Monday. My kids, my family are not always going to be there. I'm going to leave this because now it's time to get off work. I'm going to go home and I'm going to spend some time with what's important at home. I'm going to go and I'm going to rest. We are wise if we draw the same boundaries. Again, not being ugly, not being mean, but realize that there are downtimes in our lives and we're wise if we respect those things. Number two, Flip over to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Sometimes you'll study with members of a domination who still honor the Sabbath day, who still honor Saturdays. And in fact, they call themselves Adventists. That is, that we're going to push this particular agenda uh, in keeping this one particular day uh, special because it was part of the old law. As you study with these people and as you're patient with them, one of the places that I study with them and I want to get to, get to is Colossians. Particularly chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, as Paul is giving these instructions and saying, listen, Christ Jesus is preeminent. And if you're holding him up like you ought to, then there's nobody else that's going to be able to t- take away that from your faith. 
And he says in verse 16 of chapter 2, So let no one judge you in regard to food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. But note what he said that they are, which are merely a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. As Paul draws these things together in what we just studied about the Sabbath and, and pulling this over, He's saying the Sabbath was just merely a shadow. You want to know what the substance is? It's Christ. You want to know who our Sabbath is today? It's Christ. Doesn't that put that in a wonderful perspective when you look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We have rest in Jesus Christ. Because outwardly, we're not trying to hold on to elements of, a, of an old, outdated system. But from the heart, we're trying to sincerely serve God. And it's not outward ritualistic things, burdens that we need to bear, just like what the Jews had to observe with looking at the Sabbath, saying, well, am I going to violate any of these 39 things? Jesus Christ is the rest. It was designed, in essence, to point us all to Jesus and the rest he promised. Last one, flip over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews and people wanting to give up in Christianity and go back into Judaism. Hebrews writer has, no, 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 you don't want to do that. Jesus in all things is better. He is a better high priest. He's so much better than the angels. He's better than anything that that old system had to offer. But in chapter 3 and 4, he has to really get serious in talking about the Old Testament Jews, the same people that we study about that were going to be a generation later in the wilderness in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 20. And as he looks in Hebrews chapter 4, note what he begins talking about, verse one. Therefore, the Hebrews writer says, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let's fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel is preached to us as well as them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, God leads them up to the border of the promised land in Numbers 13. God says, you're going to go in and take it. But first, Moses says, let's send out those 12 spies. They go in, they come back, 10 were bad, two were good. We understand that, that, uh, that situation. And it was that because of faithlessness, because of disobedience, because of rebellion, God swore in his wrath, those people will not enter into the promised land. The Hebrews writer in chapter 4 begins and says, listen, we have a promise of entering his rest. Those people missed it because of disobedience and rebellion and faithlessness. I don't want you to miss this rest. And in fact, verse 9 uses that word that we've talked about. There remains, therefore, a Shabbat, a Sabbath for the people of God. You and I have a rest coming to us. It's not just a one-day thing. Well, but it kind of is, because there's only going to be one day when we get to heaven. There's not going to be any night there, so you could say one eternal day. There's not going to be any more work as we know it when we get to that rest. But brothers and sisters, the point that Hebrews writer is making is you don't go back 
You don't disregard your devotion and your dependence upon God because the rest that we have coming to us is nothing like the rest that they had. It's something far better because of Christ Jesus who gave it. O land of rest, for thee I sigh. When will the moment come when I shall lay my armor by and rest in peace at home? You know what the rest of that song is? We'll work till Jesus comes. Now is not the time to rest, church. I hope it is that you enjoy your labor day. And I hope it is that you do a great job with your work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. But I hope that you realize your life is about dependence upon God and devotion to Him and that every single day you're going to work for the Master. You're going to be busy in His service because it is that you want to appreciate that rest that He's promised to us. Thank you so much for your kind attention. May God bless you this week. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.